When we started covering side three of Out of the Blue, Winsensen wondered if we were going to cover the whole side at once. It is called Concerto for a Rainy Day, as if it's one musical piece. But it's four separate songs under one concept, so we did an episode about each song in the concerto. Well, on my way home a month ago, Standing in the Rain started playing, and I remembered Winsensen's wondering if we were going to do the whole concerto in one shot. To hold you until we get back from our Christmas break on January 6, 2024, I thought I would do just that. Splice together the four episodes that make up a concerto for a rainy day into one show. To you, all our loyal and casual listeners, from everyone here at Face the Music and Electric Light Orchestra Song by Song podcast, here's our half-assed, slapped-together, homemade gift for you. Hope you like your present! Oh. oh. No, wow, I really like so it. It's totally totally cool. Cool. It's cool. 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 This is Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra Song by Song podcast. Concerto for a Rainy Day. Standing in the Rain. What's that song all about? Standing in the Rain is the 10th track from Out of the Blue. First song on side three. Rumor is that the thunderstorm effects were recorded by Jeff Lynne outside of the chalet where he wrote the album. At the one minute, seven second mark, the strings play E, L, O in Morse code. In the liner notes for the Japanese release of the album, Bev Bevan wrote, Quite complex timing in this in some parts, and probably the hardest song for us to learn. In the Face the Music fanzine issue number 7 from 1990, Andrew Whiteside wrote, It's a brilliant showcase of ELO's symbiotic marriage of rock instrumentation and a real-life thunderstorm, and sets the tone for the whole side. In the March 30th, 2016 issue of The Guardian, Mark Beaumont wrote, Standing in the Rain is doing its damnedest to be Beethoven, rushing through a recital in a thunderstorm. The song was covered by Electric Light Orchestra Part 2 in 1997 and Paul McNulty in 1999. It was sampled by M.E.D. featuring Diamond D. and Polk in 2005 for their song Pressure. And Sir O.J. featuring Jiggy G. used it for Wij Zindar in 2010. <gasps> it's raining again. I'm Eric Paul Johnson. And I'm Eric Winsensen. This is such a freaking cool song. Talking thunder and, and the music in, in it. It's the, I, the way things just explode. I love the thunder. The big 
thunder sounds. I, would, I love it when I hear that kind of thunder. I have no complaints about this song. I loved it ever since I first heard it. In a way, it's sort of fire on high-ish. It has all these different parts that make up the song. It's not just verse, verse, chorus, verse, guitar, solo, bridge, verse, chorus, chorus, chorus. There are whole different parts that are like different little mini songs that are stitched together through it, and they're stitched together really good in ways that make sense. Unlike Prince's Bat Dance, which, sure, I liked, but I, <laughs> I still today I'm confused about the flow of the song. I love Standing in the Rain. Great way to start a side three of an album. <sighs> has thunder. <laughs> has some good strings at the beginning. And then at one point he's going, rain, 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 rain. <sighs> and then starts getting good again. Mm-hmm. And then comes in with some of the most banal lyrics I've heard in a long time. <laughs> About standing in the rain and getting soaking wet. Can't seem to figure out what he's going to do with the song. Keeps going everywhere. For me, it just sounded chaotic. It didn't sound like anything fit together mm-hmm. whatsoever. And then suddenly it's over and <laughs> I'm relieved. <laughs> yeah, I can give you that the lyrics are pretty simple. Is, yeah, he's just standing in the rain. He's getting wet. And it's raining a lot. It's coming down in cats and dogs. Get out of the damn rain. That's, <laughs> well, <sighs> who knows? Maybe that's where Led Zeppelin got the idea for Fool in the Rain. Just listening to Jeff singing about standing in the rain and just quit being a but fool. But Fool in the, the rain. rain is so much of a better song than you know, this. You know, as much as I do love standing in the rain, I do think Fool in the Rain, I, is, I like that much better. Yeah. Uh, there's more vocoderies in this that I have not been able to understand for the last 35 years. The Talking Thunder, which when I first heard it, I thought, oh, that's so cool. For the last 35 years, up until last week when I looked into the song, I thought he was saying Porcella 400 years ago and then trailing off. I knew that wasn't right. I didn't know what was going on. Maybe he's like setting up the theme for this side Maybe Porcella is a guy living 400 years ago, and this is going to be his life during a rainy day. Maybe Porcella was a city someplace, and they were famous for a huge storm that hit the town back in 1577, and it was historical and noteworthy. But finally, all of that's wrong, as I knew. What he's saying is, and it should have been obvious, concerto for a rainy day which makes a whole lot more sense than Porchetto 400 years ago. Or Porcini 400 years ago, which would have just made it a mushroom. There there you go. A 400-year-old mushroom. Yes. As if mushrooms aren't disgusting enough. Now we're going to have to agree to disagree again. Yeah, I could see where it's a concerto for a rainy day. And then the vocoderies at the end, it says something like, Big Wheels Keep on Turning. Duh. It does not say Proud Mary Keep on Burning. <laughs> oh. But yeah, it kind of introduces the next song coming up here. Mm-hmm. And that's another vocoderies that I've always gotten wrong and that I've always known is wrong. To my ear, it always sounded like angel flying, angel flying, angel flying close to the ground. 
I've known that was wrong, but that's what it sounded like. And it didn't make any sense, of course, because it's not what he's saying at all. He's just saying a couple lines from the next song that Standing in the Rain fades into. That's all I got. That's all I got for this one, too. Okay. I said my piece. Great moments in electric light orchestra history. The only negative point to a brilliant career is that accusation by a promoter that ELO pantomime to tapes at a concert performance. Jeff Lynn responds. There's never in the world that we could ever mime to anything. It's just impossible. That's what he was saying. And uh, all there is, is uh, there are tapes. He said, oh, I saw a tape recorder going. Of course, you know, everybody uses tapes like for big intros and stuff like that and to set the mood of a song. And then, but once we start playing, that's, that's us playing, you know. Jeff says it's virtually impossible to recreate some of the effects without occasional tapes. To get an effect on, on a particular type of synthesizer probably takes you four hours to set it up to get this sound. You couldn't do that every night, you know. And so you just switch in a tape and whatever it is. It'll come through the speakers along with us, which is every bit part of performing. Like it? Hate it? What does Madeline think? The song first was creepy. And then it started to get happy. Wow, she liked it. Big Wheels. I've been thinking it over So many times they say Got it made. They never understand the answer lies within your soul. Cause no one knows inside the point where I'll For a rainy day For when the cold wind blows To see how they were I thought they'd know I tried my best What's that song all about? Big Wheels is the 11th track on Out of the Blue, second song on side 3. This is another ELO ballad that used the working title, Bad Salad, and the liner notes for the 2000 flashback box set Jeff Lynne wrote, A song about fate. It reminds me of a spaceship floating gracefully forever. In the liner notes for the Japanese release of the album, Bev Bevan wrote, Very sad, and basically saying that no matter what happens, the world keeps turning and life goes on. It was covered by Paul McNulty in 1999. It was sampled in 2008 by Lasfeld for the song Electric Light Orchestra Sample Beat. Big wheels are rolling. Listen to them turn. Hi, I'm Eric Winsensen. And I'm Eric Paul Johnson. And today I get to ride my big wheel. I've been good, and I get to go out and play. And I also get to listen to a song I absolutely forgot about for some reason. I have no idea how I forgot about this song. Mm -hmm. Because this is one of the best ELO songs I have ever heard. And I'm kind of glad I forgot about it because it's kind of like listening to it for the first time. I can see that. So I actually got to enjoy the thing. It's Big Wheel and... or Big Wheels. Either way, 
singular or plural, I love the thing. I really like how the title of the song is played through the verses and just comes through as just kind of ethereal in the background, and then it goes into a very Beatles-style chorus throughout. Both Jeff Lynne and Richard Tandy are doing some great keyboard work throughout the song here, and it's very subtle in a lot of places. That synthesizer, it starts out with a great piano part, but that synthesizer in there is so very subtle and atmospheric, and... It was a big surprise after not liking quite a bit of everything here. All of a sudden, this just comes out of nowhere. And I have no idea what it has to do with Rain, but I really don't care. <laughs> it's just a great song. This is part of the fun of doing the ELO podcast with Eric. Because there are songs on this album that I thought, well, Eric's going to like this one. I thought he'd like Across the Border. I thought he would think Jungle was kind of fun and silly. He despised those songs. So I was just kind of going and thinking, he's probably not going to like Big Wheels much. But apparently he likes it a lot. He likes it. I dig the song too. I mean, at first it's kind of a nice, quiet little song. And then it, it builds up. And then when it really kicks in, where Richard Tandy just bangs on the piano to really emphasize that big moment there. We really love that. Now, the strings are really great where they kind of swoop and sweep in that part there, or a couple of parts there. And it has what I'm going to guess is possibly the most deeply introspective lyrics that Jeff Lynne has ever written about being a superstar in a rock band. The opening line about thinking it over and, oh, you've got it made, and Jeff's like, it's, you know... It's not so much money is success, but where your head is at that decides whether or not you're happy or not. I'm having really a hard time thinking of any other Jeff Lynne lyric that gets that deep into him with some sort of lesson about being alive that he's learned. Yes, lyrically, I really enjoyed the song as well, which mm-hmm. he typically doesn't get very complex lyrically in a lot of his work, at least post El Dorado. And it's a nice departure from a lot of what I've been hearing on this album so far. And it's also got a kind of a groove to it. Yeah, that too. I also yeah, really I, dig. It's got a very slow groove to it. And I really was digging that part of it as well. And it was just out of nowhere surprise, especially after Standing in the Rain was <laughs> kind of there and more... And just very disjointed and more introduction. But yeah, all of a sudden we've got this. And <laughs> if this was, if you're looking at this as one huge song, this would be something that integrated into a sidelong song. I would actually enjoy it more as the entire thing. Because, yeah, Staying in the Rain, I'm fine with it as an introduction. If, you, if you're doing it as an introduction to a sidelong suite of songs, then I'm actually fine with it as a song standing on its own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then this kicks in to high gear on this, and I won't say it's as great as Mr. Blue Sky, but it's getting close. Right, yeah, I really dig it. And there's something I wondered about that I never really thought about until I actually listened to it more deeply this morning, and I don't know if maybe it's just how it's coming through the speakers on my my little computer. But I kind of wondered, is that a real choir behind them, or is that keyboard synth kind of choir? Because it kind of sounds like the stuff that's here recreated live or at the end of uh, Ordinary World. 
Ordinary World? It's Ordinary Dream. It's not Ordinary World. Because okay. it sounds sort of like the fade out for Ordinary Dream. And I know he didn't use a real choir on Zoom. That's why I just kind of wondered, is this an early synthesizer keyboard version of a choir, or is it a real one? I don't know. Well, usually the choir setting on a lot of the analog synthesizers didn't sound like a choir. Yeah. It sounded like a, kind of like a very high organ riff. Yeah, the, the choir settings on the old synthesizers didn't usually sound like a choir. It sounded like a very high-octave organ. It was an effect that worked wonderfully within progressive music and a lot mm-hmm. of other things, but it never, ever sounded like a choir. Yeah, because that's why I was like, oh, that's got to be a real choir, because synth technology in 1977 it did some pretty cool stuff, but I don't think it could recreate a choir that sounded that much to where people would be like, oh, that's a choir. Where is it? No, it sounds like a choir. No, it could be. No, typically you had to hire a choir because otherwise, yeah, it sounded like the choir setting on the organ or the synthesizer. Yeah. Great moments in electric light orchestra history. Recently on a short flight from L.A. up the coast to San Luis Obispo, the private plane that ELO was flying in ran into trouble. Bev Bevan remembers. We got caught in this terrifying storm and we were literally blown, thrown all over the sky and, and the storm had knocked out all the, the electricity in the smaller towns where we were supposed to land in. We couldn't find anywhere to land, the fuel was getting low. Uh, people were just like praying, panicking and screaming and it was uh, it's as close as we've ever come. Uh, and luckily uh, the pilot got us down safely. But it was uh, seven very distraught and pale-faced musicians that got off that plane, I tell you. Like it? Hate it? What does Madeline think? That I like the song. Wow, she liked it! Summer and Lightning. Summer and Lightning is the 12th track on Out of the Blue, third song on side 3. On December 7th, 2018, Sir Gordini wrote at songmeetings.com, The author is in love. 
but it's not reciprocal at the start of the song. That breaks his heart, but he really loves the person he is directing this song to, and just the thought of her brightens his day. Summer is the happiness, and lightning is the sadness that unreciprocated love brings, and he's feeling both at the same time. In the March 30th, 2016 issue of The Guardian, Mark Beaumont wrote, Everyone balls along to Mr. Blue Sky like a pissed-up Pavarotti these days, but three Les Clement song selections were vastly superior. The slow burn gorgeousness of Big Wheels and the piece's pinnacle Summer and Lightning. Love, magic, waiting, yada yada. But when Lynn clamors atop his strumbling acoustic ditty to the sound of rolling thunder and bellows, here it comes again, like he's ripping his shirt open to get struck dead in the chest by a thunderbolt, there was surely no more euphoric moment in 70s pomp rock until side four. A nod to the song comes up in the card game Apples to Apples. There's a card with the word thunder. On the other side of the card are the lyrics, here it comes again, thunder and lightning. The song was covered by Lassay Eden and The Outsiders in 1990 and Paul McNulty in 1999. I'm Eric Paul Johnson. And I'm Eric Winsenson. I really love how this song starts. It's got a nice clear acoustic guitar riff intro, which I don't think I've ever heard on an ELO song. I've heard nice, clear, crisp acoustic guitar, but more is just playing the chords that make up the song. I don't think I've heard one where it's just playing this hook riff there that pops up every now and then. It's got some great placement of thunder. I think the sha-la-la-la-las are a nice touch to the song. And I like the bridge where they have that funky Moog synthesizer breakdown going on. I like the song. And I've always liked the song. I like the song, too. I'm not it's, two in a row. Yes, two in a <laughs> row here that I actually really like. And, hey, it fits in with the rest of the songs that are on the side as well, which is mm-hmm. a bonus. Yes. This time, the thunder is just not used as effect. It's actually part of the music. Yeah. Where it's placed within the song, it actually acts as another percussive instrument there to forward how the song sounds. And instead of just rain effects, you've got that synthesizer effect in there as well that doesn't try to emulate rain, but the way it's played, it gives you a kind of a rain idea. Then, of course, I love the vocals throughout this, especially great chorus with uh, Here It Comes Again. It's just a wonderful song. It's a perfect song to follow big wheels with. And I'm just trying to wonder why I didn't remember liking this side of the album as much as I do, because other than the beginning song, which is the beginning song, I still will say as a standalone song, it's not anything special. Mm-hmm. But once you get into this, yeah, it's a great introduction and it works with every other song on here. And uh, of course, you know, next week I'm going to say a bunch of great stuff about Mr. Blue Sky anyway. Spoiler. Exactly. But I remember just Mr. Blue Sky being the only song I liked off of this side of the Concerto for a Rainy Day and but I'm totally wrong. This <laughs> this entire side works and whether or not you're just taking it as individual songs, at least 3 of them are great or if you're taking it as an entire work, either way it is definitely miles away from a lot of what else is on this album. So um like that one guy said on that uh, NPR podcast, Out of the Blue is, like most double albums, three good sides in one side where it's just, uh, we gotta pad this out. So in Eric's world, you would completely ditch side two and make side three 
the side two of Out of the Blue. Oh, definitely. So far, yeah. Because if it was just side one and side two, yeah, I didn't like Cross the Border very much, but it still is not something that really drags the album down or anything like that. If it was just side one and then this one, this would be right up there with New World Record, to tell you the truth. I can see that, yes. Um, I don't have much else to say, so I'm going to pad this out with a little story here. (laughs) Other than I really like this song. But a weird thing would happen to me when I would play this album in 1984. Whenever I would play Side 3, Concerto for a Rainy Day, uh, it would rain within the next few days. And I lived in Phoenix. I lived in a desert. So for a while there, I had the power to make rain happen in Phoenix just by playing Side 3 of Out of the Blue. That's my story. Well, I wish you were here right now to play Concerto for a Rainy Day because, well, I've been waiting. Well, it only worked when I played my original UA pressing. It didn't work with CD or tape or any later jet pressing. So there was something in the, the vinyl and the pressing and probably some secret voodoo chant and just the UA pressing that would cause rain to happen. Now, I was reading some of the reviews of this particular song mm-hmm. on the Jeff Lynn database. And once again, I'm wondering about Andrew Whiteside. <laughs> I mean, yes, I've been harsh on some of the songs on this particular album because it's just not one of my favorite albums. It wouldn't matter who the group was. It still would not be one of my favorite albums. But mm-hmm. I'm wondering, why, for running a fanzine, <laughs> do you even like the band? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, the, the, I, this would be like me running the Justin Bieber fan club. <laughs> See. I hate everything about him, hate everything he's ever done, and uh, of course I usually pay no attention because he's irrelevant to what I care about in music, Mm -hmm. so why would I run a fan site for him, (laughs) other than if I was, well, a creep? Eric brings it back around to what's relevant to the subject of this episode. Yeah, um... I, I don't know what's with Andrew Whiteside. Although last week he did have something nice to say about Big Wheels. I don't think I used it, because like I said in, in our bonus tracks part one of Out of the Blue, I put the episode together, I listen to it to make sure everything's okay, then I post it and I move on and I kind of forget what happened. So I, I, I don't think I used it. And not just to be like, well, anytime Andrew says something nice about ELO, I'm not going to use it, just to make him look bad. I think maybe just because uh, really if it's written well, that's what I'll use. If it's a bad review that's written entertainingly, then I'll use it. But if it's just a good review where, kind of like how I started this episode, oh, I like it, the guitar's nice, then I'm probably not going to use it. Also, I was looking at the circus review of this, calling this and Mr. Blue Sky Fluffballs. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, why was Circus, which is a heavy metal magazine, <laughs> reviewing <laughs> Electric Light <laughs> Orchestra? This... Ah, I just don't understand. I, I I get frustrated the same thing with movies. Why do people who hate horror films review horror films? And why would somebody who knows practically nothing about the music they're listening to and where the music doesn't even fit your magazine's format even consider reviewing it? Because most of your readers probably couldn't care less about yeah. an ELO album. They're wanting to hear Priest. If ELO opened for Priest, all they get is a bunch of beer cans thrown at them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, from Circus's perspective, I guess, yes, Summer and Lightning would be Puffball. But if you're putting that up against Sabbath and Iron Maiden, 
it's well yeah of course exactly yeah. it's completely I, I, different types of music and i it, it it amazes me that they even knew the album existed other than probably their older brother who listened to progressive rock brought the right. album home or because Be- bevan played with iron maiden for the 83 tour no, Black no, that Sabbath. was Black Sabbath. He yeah, played Black with. Sabbath. Yes. Played with Black Sabbath. Somebody at the magazine thought, oh, Bev Bevan is a hard rocking drummer, I bet. Let me just pick what he was in ELO. What's their album everybody talks the most about of the blue? Okay, I'll listen to this and I'll review it. And we'll get into a good heavy metal review of Bevan's band, The Electric Light. Well, this sounds nothing like Black Sabbath. I'm going to tear into these pussies. So. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know why. It's not like Electric Light Orchestra stole your Grammy Award. <laughs> no, no. Did they ever win one? I don't know. Um, if they did, it'd probably be for Balance of Power, knowing the Grammys. Ah, uh, you know, that would seem just about right, considering the Grammys, yeah. So. And there's where we can end it. Great moments in Electric Light Orchestra history. Fortunately, reviews don't mean that much in terms of whether people are going to listen to your record or not. They don't mean very much at all. But it is a bit soul-destroying when you do work, like like you say, all day and all night, trying to get this thing as good as you possibly can. And, you know, you're really dedicated to it, and which I am. And I love doing it. So, I mean, you got if you put yourself in a position to be knocked down, you, that's what you have to put up with. But it is a shame when people just dismiss it as rubbish or whatever, you know. And that's why I'm loath to say anything's rubbish, really, any music, because I know that somewhere somebody has gone to a, done the best they can possibly do on that piece of work. You know, and even if it's, even if I think it's bad, I do say it myself sometimes, that's bad. And then I know how they would feel if, if they've done the best and, and worked really hard on it. You know, it's not very nice to have somebody say, that's a load of crap. Like it? Hate it? What does Madeline think? The song was good. Wow, she liked it. It's not all spaceships and stuff, because I'm into all sorts of things. Uh, I like football. I like a drink. I like Spain. And if there's one thing I really, really love, then it's Jeff Lynne and the Electric Light Orchestra. Because you can't beat a bit of ELO. This is Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast. Episode 071, Mr. Blue Sky. Mr. Blue Sky is the 13th track on Out of the Blue, 
fourth song, Side 3. Its original working title was Thou Shalt Not, Number 7. Jeff Lynne said, Mr. Blue Sky was the hardest. It started as a chord sequence that I pounded for nine hours in a row one day. Jeff didn't think much of the song during the production of it. In the February 2006 issue of Q, he said, I liked the bouncing beat, but I remember sitting in the mastering suite and thinking, it's got no dynamics, not enough top, not enough middle, not enough bass. And fuck was I ever wrong. It's been played to death ever since. Paul McCartney said a nice thing about it the other day. He said, that's a song that's found its time because people love optimism and everything's gloomy at the minute. ELO recording engineer Mac described recording the classical elements of the song. Some of those classically trained musicians feeling like they were back in kindergarten clearly weren't going to stand for being told to bring their own chairs and music stands into the studio. But about 80% of them said, sure, see you there in an hour. And they all turned up. As there were also a 32-piece choir, it had to perform in the lobby while some of the orchestra musicians played their instruments lined up against the walls. The place was mobbed, and in those circumstances, the sound we got on tracks like Mr. Blue Sky was pretty good. The futuristic, for 1977, vocoder parts of the song got its inspiration from a 1948 children's record. In a 2009 interview at the ASCAP Expo, Jeff said, When I was a little kid, I remember hearing it from the first time. I was probably about five years old. It was on a thing called Sparky's Magic Piano, and it was a single that they used to play on the children's radio program called Children's Favorites and it was invariably on every week. And that piano sound used to haunt me. It was like a piano with asthma. In a November 19, 1977 review of Out of the Blue, Owen Gleiberman wrote for the Michigan Daily. The side unfortunately concludes with a ditty called Mr. Blue Sky, an excruciatingly insipid piece that would sound more appropriate as a television sitcom theme. In a 2004 poll by BBC Radio and the Birmingham Mail newspaper, Mr. Blue Sky got the most votes from the public to be the anthem for the Midlands. The song got five times more votes than the second place winner. In the 2012 Jeff Lynn documentary, Mr. Blue Sky, the story of Jeff Lynn and ELO, Paul McCartney said, Mr. Blue Sky is a pretty special song. It's probably the one that everyone would choose, so it's a bit boring to choose it. But it is great. I mean, it just works. And if you're in the car and it's a nice day, it really works. Mr. Blue Sky was used in the movies Wild Muscles, Shaun of the Dead, The Magic Roundabout in 2005, The Game Plan, Martian Child, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It was in trailers for the movies Adaptation and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. On TV, it appeared in LAX as the opening theme song, the 2005 ITV miniseries Walk Away and I Stumble, the 2006 Doctor Who episode Love and Monsters, and the 2007 CSI crime scene investigation episode Lab Rats. It was in the video game Driver Parallel Lines. The song was used in commercials for France Telecom in 2005, Talia, Orange Bleu Til Talia, cell phones in Denmark, Marks and Spencer Women's Clothing, France SFR Phone Service in 2007, NBAA American Beer Distributors in 2008, Kmart, and in Korea in 2009 for any call. Haptic pop cell phones. All the weather on American. Hi, 
Hi, I'm Eric Winsensen. And I'm Eric Paul Johnson. And we've made it to Mr. Blue Sky. I have always, always loved this particular song. It's got so many different elements to it. It's got the classical ending. It's got the rock parts in there. It really sounds like an updated version of what the Beatles were doing towards the end of their career. Since that's always what Jeff Lynne has kind of been going for, it's very impressive to hear that all come together. Even if you have to dig through a lot of stuff on Out of the Blue to finally get to it. (laughs) But from the very beginning of the uh, Good Morning and we're calling for Blue Skies, it's a good ending to this whole rainy day suite as well. Because of course after a rainy day you enjoy all the rain and everything, but... Part of the joy is when it starts to peek through with a little bit of sunshine and you smell all the fresh air and everything else as well as the world has just basically been cleansed for a little bit. I know that just made it sound very creepy. I'm going (laughs) to cleanse the world. (laughs) Of all the ELO songs in their discography, at least during the hit making years, I never, ever, ever expected Mr. Blue Sky to be the one to make a huge resurgence. Don't bring me down telephone line. I kind of figured if there's ever going to be a an ELO song that will return and be big and popular, it'd probably be one of those. <laughs> Never, ever expected Mr. Blue Sky. Made a little blip on the top 40 in 1978 and then vanished and just disappeared into oblivion, hidden as the fourth track on the third side of an ELO double album. And that's where it would stay for the rest of time. Just that little hidden, oh yeah, that song. Only ELO fans would know about it. The rest of the world is just kind of... I am still, to this day, really? Mr. Blue Sky is the one that comes back and now everybody associates with ELO after 25 years of nobody knowing anything about it. I'm really good with that, though. (laughs) I love Mr. Blue Sky. At first, when I first heard it, back in February 1984, I I was kind of like... I don't know. I thought the song was kind of derpy. It's kind of happy, and there's it didn't seem like there's too much to it. It's just... And just goes on. I did like the classical part. And I thought that was neat. But after first hearing it, I thought, it's kind of a doofy, derpy version of the McCartney part of A Day in the Life. But I liked the album when I got it, so I listened to it a bunch. And, and really, it wasn't after too many more listens. Maybe a couple more listens before it was like, Sweet Jesus, that's a pretty freaking awesome song. I love Mr. Blue Sky. So yeah, nothing bad to say about this song. I absolutely love it, and I loved it when it started showing up again. Oh, people are paying attention to ELO, and they're picking obscure album tracks that people forgot about. This is great. And then just to see it explode, that's just a one of the happiest things you can have for an ELO fan, to have a song nobody remembers suddenly become worldwide famous and so associated with the band as much as Telephone Line or Don't Bring Me Down or Battle of Marston Moore. Well, I never really considered Mr. Blue Sky to be a uh, an obscure song. I mean, it surprised me. I probably shouldn't have been surprised because I've had those top 40 books forever, mm-hmm. but just didn't really look at Electric Light Orchestra too much because... A lot of Electric Light Orchestra songs, you've heard them forever. You don't think about chart positions. Basically, you just know that Don't Bring Me Down was their highest charting song in the U.S. Yeah. And other than that, uh, you really don't think of, huh, 
well, this charted here, and the, you think of, hey, this is one of those ELO songs I really, really love. Mm-hmm. And so I was really surprised to see that this only got to number 35 Yeah, in the U.S. For me, it wasn't a resurgence. It's, I've always heard this song. Hmm. When you're thinking of ELO, it was one of those songs I always associated with ELO, along with Telephone Line and Don't Bring Me Down and Can't Get It Out of My Head. Mm-hmm. It was one of those staple ELO songs that kind of draw you into the band. Right. Um, I mean, it was included on their Greatest Hits album after this. Yes. So they knew, I mean, Jeff Lynne obviously knew that, it, or if it was a record company that assembled that one. Either way, they knew that this song was more than just its chart position. It's kind of like ELO all wrapped up in one little package and tied up with a bow. It really is. A nice little vocoder bow on there. <laughs> yeah. Because it defines everything that one would think about ELO at this particular time period at their peak. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that a lot of people have rediscovered this song and that it's become kind of the iconic one for the band because it's better than having something like Still You Turn Me On. At least nobody rhymed matter and ladder <laughs> in this particular one. Yeah. For five years, I didn't know that this was released as a single. I got my hands on the Billboard Book of Top 40 Hits in 1989, and I was like, oh, Mr. Blue Sky was released as a single. I had no idea. I never heard it on the radio. And another reason why it surprised me when I saw that it was released as a single and barely made the Top 40 is because I'm a pretty big fan of music from 1978 to about 83 or so, and this song came out in the summer of 78, which has also been something that's... um, got a hefty bit of nostalgia for me because I had a pretty good summer for summer 78. That was the year my parents just gave me their old clock radio. So that's when I had my radio, when I could start listening to what I wanted and it wasn't dictated by what my parents had on the radio or what the records they had on their on their stereo. So I, you know, listened to Top 40 radio back in 78, so I heard a lot of stuff and even to this day as I've gotten older, obviously, Uh, There's a lot of songs from 1978 that made the top 40 that I still love. Could do without the Village People and quite a bit disco, but other than that, still love that. So I was surprised when it's like, I how did I miss this? How did I not notice or never even hear that Mr. Blue Sky was a single? And I never heard it on the radio. And I lived in Phoenix from 1976 until 2014. I lived in the Blue Sky capital of the universe. There are 330 days of sunshine in that city. You'd think sometime during that time I would have heard Mr. Blue Sky on the radio. But I hadn't, even on the classic rock station. Probably never listened to KSLX that much because, yeah. Oh, I did. They played it constantly, at least since the early 90s. They've played it constantly. Well, that's probably... It's it's one of their little handful of ELO songs that they Mm. approved for (laughs) airplay. Right. I did listen to KSLX a lot from 86 to about late 88. And I got tired of hearing Aqualung and Stairway to Heaven all the damn time. And I moved on to the alternative radio stations. So in the 90s, I had pretty much, you know, I'm sick of hearing classic rock. So I didn't really listen to KSLX See, in the 90s. Switch over the alternative station, which uh, then played Friday I'm in Love all the damn <laughs> time. That's around so. the time that I got tired of hearing the alternative stations, too. So, yeah. <laughs> And that's when we just started going to our own record collections after a while. Yes. Speaking of strange <laughs> yeah. things in record collections and yes. enjoying record collections, you brought up a little uh, <laughs> very creepy oddity here. 
Yeah, I thought the vocoder was just a new toy that had showed up at Musicland, and Jeff Lynne thought, well, I'm going to use this on the record. I had no idea that Jeff Lynne's, I don't know, obsession with the vocoder at this time dates back to 1948, I think it was, a record called Sparky's Magic Piano. And I had never heard it before, up until two days ago. I didn't even hear it on Dr. Demento. And you'd think that'd be a place where, the only place where I would have heard it. But it sounds pretty 1970s vocodery for being 1948. Sparky. Oh, Sparky. Uh, Who's that? Who's calling me? It is I, your piano. My piano? But, but you're talking. Yes, I can talk. Well, the reason is because the vocoder itself was not designed as a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. It was designed as a long-distance communication device. Hmm. It was designed during World War II. I mean, even though you get the robot voice, that was basically not purposeful. That was due to technology limitations at the time. Right. But it was meant for long-distance communication when you didn't have phone lines laid down and everything. So it right. had a military application. It's just that it became a lot more popular as a voice manipulation tool than later on because, of course, by the time Korea showed up and everything, yeah, all that was a lot better than using a vocoder and a lot better technology by the end of World War II than the vocoder. That just made World War II creepier for me. I mean, I'm fine with it in music, but I'm just picturing warfare and death and bullets and bombs going off, and in the background you've got this robot voice going on, too. (laughs) Okay. As for the vocoder, this has another vocoderese that I have always heard wrong, and I know I've always heard wrong. To me, at the very end, it always sounded like Mr. Blue Sky's Gone. Which I knew wasn't right, because it sounds kind of dumb. It sounds more like a four-year-old kid. Oh, Mr. Blue Sky's Gone. But that's not what it is, and I found this out just a couple years ago. It's Please Turn Me Over. And no, it is not anything sick and demented. It just basically means turn the record over. Yes, yes. I think the coolest thing that has happened, other than the resurgence of this song, for me, for Mr. Blue Sky, was when it was used in Doctor Who. That guy's going on talking, and I start to hear Mr. Blue Sky start to fade in. And the guy's saying there's one other thing that's really great. And I'm starting to like, wait, Mr. Blue Sky, is he going to say? And he says, Jeff Lynn is like, oh! Because you can't get an, enough of ELO or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, this is freaking cool. Doctor Who and ELO together. Oh, my God, this is so freaking. And I totally geekgasmed over it. And I thought that the classical ending that they used at the end of the episode has to be one of the most, I don't know, powerful, fitting uses for that song with the video of the, of the coda. If I wasn't a stone-hearted Vulcan and a man, I probably would have been... Oh, oh, that's... that's. There's something in my eye. I'm good, though. There was a shadow in your house. An elemental shade had escaped from the howling halls. I stopped it, but I wasn't in time to save her. I'm sorry. Because that was the night my mother died.
And this was something I did not know about until last night when I was looking into facts about the song. I did not know, well, first of all, that that classical end, that coda at the end, apparently that's not part of Mr. Blue Sky. That's supposed to be like its own separate concerto wrap-up section. And I also never noticed that it uses the melody of the bridge between Standing in the Rain and Big Wheels. never noticed that before. Now I, I always will. We're running long. There's a video. There's some animation. There's some neat shots. There's some Hugh McDowell acting up, which is amusing. And an important note about this video, uh, no sunglasses for Jeff Lynn. He should wear the sunglasses because he looks like he's got Alec Guinness eyes. Got something to say about Mr. Blue Sky? Then call the telephone line voicemail. 623-850-3375. Call now. Was it a hit or was it? Mr. Blue Sky was the second single released in the UK from the album Out of the Blue. The B-side was a remixed version of One Summer Dream. There was a limited release on Blue Vinyl. Released on January 28, 1978, it reached its highest position in the UK, getting all the way up to number 6. It was the 43rd biggest song of 1978. In the United States, it was released in June of the same year. However, it only got up to number 35 on the Billboard chart, while getting to number 33 on Record World and Cashbox got up to number 27 on the Billboard chart. It came in at number 206 for the year. The song did not even make the top 40 in Australia, only getting to number 87, with Ireland getting up to number 28 and Canada and Germany both reaching number 27. It also did rather well, though, in the Netherlands, getting up to number 8 on the Dutch chart. Mr. Blue Sky was covered by... The Cadets, Jack Livingston Orchestra and Singers, The Surf Breakers, King, Giganter, Yukio Young, Ten Sharp, Electric Light Orchestra Part 2, Jonas, Paul McNulty, Geese Fighters, Triple Fast Action, Tony Visconti, Delgados, P. Hux, The Magic Orchestra, Lily Allen, The Big Fellas, Glamophone featuring Kelly, The Spinto Band, El Chirazan, Electric Light Orchestra, Scattered Light Orchestra, The Segway Sisters, and... King Caton. It was sampled in Bits and Pieces 3, Let's Do It, by Bits and Pieces, Dynamite Mixers, in 1980, The Ride, by Digital Boy, Welcome to the Human Race, by The Brand Falks, Prayer, by The Brand Falks, Be With You, by Clips, Never, by Deja Vu, The Feeling, by Girl Talk, For Those About to Rock, by Deaf in the Family, Latte, by Chris Hamilton, Azumaisu, by The Quietest Mix, Let It Out, by Girl Talk, Blue Sky, by Common, Pop Culture, by Medeon, Blue Sky, by Luigi, and Superflu, by Schneebly. It's time for a great line from ELO from this week's song. What's my line? Hey, you with the pretty face. <laughs> Welcome to the human race. Like it? Hate it? What does Madeline think? I like Mr. Blue Sky. Wow, she liked it. 
Taste the Music, an electric light orchestra song-by-song podcast, is a production of Radio Trolla Entertainment, Assorted Deli Meets Amalgamated. You can contact us by voicemail at 623-850-3375 or email us at eloftmpodcast at gmail.com. Keep up to date on the show by joining our Facebook group and spread the word by sharing the link or giving us a quick rating on iTunes. You can financially support the podcast at patreon.com slash ELO pod. Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. <laughs>